God, I do pray for, uh, actually, let me ask this. If everybody else that's not part of H2O, extend your right hand toward them, all right? That's a blessing, all right? So, God, we do pray a prayer of blessing over Kevin and Julie, over Hope, over Dave, and even over all the H2O students. And, uh, um, an ending is a hard thing at times, but a new beginning is always, a, always an anxious thing. So, God, I pray that you'd bless them with supernatural wisdom, supernatural peace, and supernatural joy. And I just pray that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit would just be heavy upon them and in them, and uh, everything uh, that they do, they would know um, that none of their work has been in vain. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, I haven't, uh, this week somebody asked me to do a, I also I did a video. I'm not going to show this video. They asked me to do a video about all the stuff our church has done for other pastors. It's another church in Fort Wayne, Indiana that wanted that. But uh, I think I figured we've probably done things for at least 75 pastors and or churches in Bloomington. So thank you for those of you who are part of Exodus and who give the money that buy Brewster's gift cards and other gift cards and all kinds of other things we've done for churches over the years. So I'm grateful for that. So... So um, let, me, let me pray before we look into God's word today. God, your Holy Spirit is real. We've always, we always say every week we believe in the Holy Spirit, and apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't understand the Bible. So we pray that you would enlighten our eyes, open our ears, Holy Spirit, so we can see and understand and do what you've asked us to do in Scripture. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So the word for the day is passion. So uh, passion is like, what, what is passion? And because this is Passion Week. We'll talk about that in a second. Here's some passion quotes, just to kind of give that thing. Harriet Tubman, uh, Underground Railroad, led a lot of slaves to freedom. Um, here's what she said about passion. Every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars. All right. Oprah Winfrey says this, passion is energy. Feel the power that comes from focusing on what excites you. John Paul Sartre, a poet or a philosopher, um, French we must ask, act out on our passion before we can feel it. T.S. Eliot, another poet, it's obvious that we can do more, we can no more explain passion to a person who has never experienced it than we can explain light to the blind. John Bon Jovi, there's a real great philosopher, right? Nothing is as important as passion. No matter what you want to do with your life, be passionate. Steve Jobs, a lot, a lot of money guy. You have, to be, you have to be burning with an idea or a problem or a wrong that you want to right. But if you're not passionate enough from the start, you'll never stick it out. Two more, Mia Hamm, international soccer player. If you don't love what you do, you won't do it with much conviction or passion. And the last one, a really smart guy, Albert Einstein. I have no special talents. I'm only passionately curious. So passion is the word for the day, and we, you know, sometimes people use the word passion as like they had a passionate night of romance or things like that. But what is passion, and what role does it play in our lives? What role did it play in the life of Jesus? But if Jesus is our, is our leader and he's passionate, what does the rest of me be passionate, all right? So I've been doing a series for a number of weeks now, months now, I don't know, maybe years, who knows how long I've been doing this, called Want More, that I want more of God. I, you know, Paul's prayer is I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want more. 
And passion plays a part in that because a lot of times it's easy for us, easy for me, to say, well, I've already checked off the I'm a Christian box, I've got my ticket to heaven, whatever else, so I just need to live a moral life and be good till Jesus comes back. Instead of thinking, no, I want to have passion and know Christ more. I want to have passion in my life with God. I want, I want more of God in my life. So what does that mean and what does it look like? So, again, so this is Passion Week. So Passion Week, some people call it Holy Week. It's the week before Easter. Um, Holy Week, Passion Week. Some people just call it Easter Week. So if passion is all those things that Albert Einstein and Mia Hamm and John Bon Jovi said, or even Oprah, what's Passion Week mean? Why do you call it Passion Week? Because it seems like it was a challenging week for at least it ended in some real painful stuff on Good Friday and then but then there was a resurrection. But why do we call it the passion of Jesus? And what is passion? So let me hear the word passion, it's interesting, the word passion kind of has this sense of uh, deeply felt emotion. So when you're passionate about something, it's a deeply felt emotion. Often an emotion you can't even contain or control. All right? So that's key to think about here. Passion is a deeply felt, intense emotion that often is even outside of your control because it's just there. All right? So then you th- but passion in the, in the biblical sense, that it means that deeply felt emotion that sometimes is outside of control. But it has also, in, in the biblical sense, it often is associated with the idea of suffering. So think about that for a second. So a passionate person suffers. Because if you're passionate about something, you may have to suffer for it. Whether you're passionate about, you know, sports or music or whatever else, you have to sacrifice. You have to, you have to, say, you have to deny yourself to accomplish what you're passionate about. So in the context of the word passion, you know, in the, in the biblical sense, it's kind of the sense of the suffering of the Christ. But think about passion as it's the, deeply, it's the deeply entrenched emotion you feel that you're willing to suffer for because it's so important to you. So whether you're passionate about music, sports, physics, whatever else you're passionate about, um, it's, it's a deeply felt emotion that is so deep inside of you and somewhat even uncontrollable that you will suffer anything to accomplish what you want to accomplish. So I want you to think about that in terms of G- the passion of Jesus. It's a, he has such a deeply felt emotion about us, you and me, the world, that there was nothing that was going to stand in the way, including suffering, of him accomplishing what he needed to accomplish for us. So I want to just go through Passion Week in the Bible, like, let's, let's look at the, what, what happened in the days up before Jesus' death and his resurrection. And where do we see his passion in that sense, all right? So I'm going to start with Sunday, go straight through the week. This is all from different Gospels. So first of all, on the, the Sunday of Passion Week, which today, Palm Sunday, we often think of the, you know, palm branches waving. Um, Jesus comes in on a donkey, and this is what's important about this thing. If you're a conquering king, you came in on a steed, a horse. Jesus, and it was even in that time, if a king came in on a donkey, which Jesus chose to do, you're coming still as a king, but you're a king that's all about. Hosanna, bless. 
All right? So people are shouting, and we read this at the start of the service, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, it's chaotic. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, son of David, all these things. Because they thought, in their expectation, Jesus was going to be this king that was going to kind of kick out the Romans. Sometimes we want Jesus to be the person that makes our life what we want it to be. So they're, they're thinking Jesus is going to fix their lives, kick out the Romans. But Jesus doesn't come with this warrior that's going to kick them out. He comes on a donkey. So they're getting this passion of Jesus is not to be overpowering us. He's passionate about, about being the king, but a king of peace. All right, that's Sunday. Monday. Monday, what happens, and this happened, we think more than once in the Bible, but in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus clears the temple. This is Jesus uh, winding up with his whip, whip of cords, all right? So he, uh, he goes into the temple, and he sees, he sees what's happening with the buying and selling of, uh, of sheep and things like that. Why is he angry? Is he angry because money's being exchanged? Not necessarily. Is it because that had to happen to some degree? Because if people came from out of town for Passover, every time they came into town, they couldn't they couldn't just throw their sacrificial animals in the back of their minivan and drive down from you know Nazareth. They had to get there and they had to buy dove, sheep, whatever else to sacrifice for Passover, because they would come from all over the country down to Jerusalem for Passover. Or they also had to pay a temple tax, but it had to be a temple tax in the currency of Jerusalem, so they had to exchange money. So they had to do that. What was happening was the, 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 the Pharisees had allowed exorbitant overcharge for those things. So it wasn't just the money. That stuff had to happen, but it became this exorbitant, obsessive, prosperous, profitable thing. And then it was made to whip people from worshiping God. And so Jesus, the Bible tells us, he made a whip from cords. He didn't whip people, but he turned over the tables, let the animals out. I'm guessing if you and I were there, we'd be a little, if we were part of the disciples, we'd have been like, whoa, what? He's, he's passionate. They actually said, they remembered that the Bible talked about the Messiah being zealous. So he does all this, and because why? Jesus is passionate about anything that keeps ordinary people from worshiping God. That's why he's doing this. He's not, it's not because the money being, it's because it was, it was such that there was a barrier for ordinary people to worship God. And Jesus doesn't tolerate anything in me or in you that keeps you from worshiping God. So he's passionate. And the disciples saw that. It's funny, I was looking for, I was looking, I found all these, I had all these pictures anyway, but I was Googling this week so I could find better pictures from different Jesus movies and stuff. There was one picture from a, it must have been a kid's coloring book, of Jesus clearing the temple. And Jesus was kind of holding a table like this, tilting it up and kind of smiling like, I'm going to knock this over. And I thought, I think he was a little more angry than that. It was kind of, this, it was, it was kind of funny when I looked at it because he's just kind of like he's a sneaky little guy tipping over tables. But he wasn't a sneaky little guy. I mean, he was powerful in this one. I always tell people, is this the Jesus you want to follow? Because he's passionate here. He's passionate to remove anything that keeps you or I from worshiping God. He's passionate. 
That was Monday. Tuesday and Wednesday, most of the time he spent in the temple arguing with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees would come to him. They, he wasn't just picking a fight. They came to him, were trying to trap him. They were trying to trick him. They were trying to catch him in some kind of, you know, they'd ask him about, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus gave them an answer that just kind of floored them. You know, then, then they would, he would talk about, he'd give parable about the evil farmers. And the Pharisees knew the evil farmers were them, and they didn't like that. So for two days, most of his time was spent in kind of conflict with the Pharisees. And this was the week. So it's like, come on, Jesus, you're just kind of signing your death warrant. He, he knew that. But conflict about money, about all these things. The Pharisees, and they finally gave up trying. But this is the thing about Jesus Jesus has no tolerance for the spirit of religiosity. That's what the Pharisees were all about. Religiosity, religion, doing things right. The way I said it before is the spirit of religion is all about image management. I have to look good to people. I have to look religious to people. And whether it's the Pharisees of then or the Pharisees inside each one of us, that's the spirit of religion that Jesus has no patience for. Not because he doesn't love those people. He, just, he doesn't like the way that we sometimes created a religious environment. So somebody asked me, uh, I teach some classes at IU, and a student asked me a couple years ago if I was religious. And I said, well, I'd like to think not. I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. I said, to me, those are two different things. So Jesus was just totally destroying the spirit of religiosity of the Pharisees. And again, if you were his PR manager, you'd probably tell him to tone it down because it's going to cause a little bit of ruffles and feathers. But Jesus has the courage to say to the Pharisees what everybody else thought but didn't have the courage to say. Jesus has the courage to say to you and me what other people may know about us, but nobody else will say it. And Jesus will say that to us. So Jesus has... Because he's passionate about you being what he knows you can be. So he has the courage enough to say things and to break down the spirit of religion. So then there's, now we go to Thursday. This is the day of the Last Supper. This is a picture of Jesus washing disciples. Uh, I think it's Peter's feet in this particular movie. And of course washing the feet um, was a servant's task. It was not something that anybody of any standing would ever do. So when they got done with the Passover meal and then said Jesus took off his, off his outer garment and put a towel on his waist and bent down to start washing feet, it would have been appalling to every single one of the disciples. That's something that slaves do. That's something that servants do. That's the lowest class to wash somebody's feet. And Peter even says, no, no, what are you doing? Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet. And this is where... This is where Jesus uh, says, what I've done is an example. You need to do this to one another. Um, how many of you have heard the ever phrase before of Maundy Thursday? Heard that phrase? If you've been in a, a Catholic or Episcopal or Methodist environment, um, I never heard that term until you know, I got into ministry. But to, to, So Thursday this week, I know some churches in town will have a Maundy Thursday service. Well, Maundy is the Latin word for command, commandment. So it's the Thursday where Jesus gave the disciples the commandment 
I'm giving you a new commandment, love one another. Love one another. And he shows that, the Bible says when he washed the disciples' feet, he showed them the full extent of his love. And again, there's a, there's a passion there that is willing to drop reputation and take on the garments of a servant because he knows that's what will lead us to be the kind of people he wants us to be. So that was Thursday evening. Then I'm going to go to Thursday night. And this is, it's, maybe the lighting is not as good. This is a, a clip from uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this perhaps is one of my most favorite prayers of Jesus, although it's kind of, maybe it's wrong to, to qualify or rate the prayers of Jesus because they all should be number one. But anyway, this is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knew what was, gonna, he knew what was happening. He knew what was coming, and he has some of the disciples come with him. He says, will you come pray with me? And the Bible says he was uh, distressed and troubled. I had a friend of mine tell me once, not a good friend, but somebody said, I, I think Jesus was just mimicking that so the disciples could relate to him. And I was like, you don't think he was really distressed and troubled? I mean, Jesus even said, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I'm guessing none of us have felt that way before. We felt deeply disturbed. I don't mean disturbed in a mental health way, but... And this person said, no, I think he was just showing us he can relate to us. I said, no, he totally felt that. If Jesus said, if Jesus said his sor- soul was sorrowful and he was greatly distressed and troubled, that's because his soul was sorrowful and he was greatly distressed and troubled. If nothing else... What I learned from that, what you can learn from that, is that there's nothing you have felt when you're anxious or distressed that Jesus hasn't already felt. So he's saying that, and then he he throws him, the Bible said he throws himself to the ground. So I imagine somebody throwing themselves to the ground in prayer, and he, 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 he speaks to God what I think is one of the greatest three line prayers. He says three things He says, Abba Father, you can do all things, God, you can do anything you want to. So think about this when you're in a real stressful situation where you don't like what's going to come down. God, you can do anything. And then he says the second line, take this cup from me. Translation, is there a plan B? I don't want to do this. And you might say, no, Jesus, totally no. No, he was human as well as God. Plan B was, I don't want to do this. Is there a plan? Or, he wanted plan B. So it's okay to tell God, this is what I want. But then he added the last line, which is the most important of all lines. He said, but nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. I think I, I know I've shared this before, but I, I want to share it again. When I, and Kathy's not here today. She's visiting her family. So I, everything I'm telling is truthful. So I'm not, gonna, I'm not making it up because she's not here. All right. Um, so when I first asked her to marry me, she said, uh, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say yes. It's like, what does that mean? All right. I had the ring with me and everything. And I kind of knew that might be the response. And you might think, why did I ask her? I was just, I was trying to force the question, right? So, so I asked her and she isn't an answer. So I, I didn't, I still don't know what that meant, but I know what it meant. But so for, for a number of days, I had her engagement ring still with me because she didn't take it. Right. And I would actually pray with it in my hands and I would say, God, you know what I, I, you can do anything, God. You can do anything you want to. And then 
God, you know what I want. I want to marry Kathy. Kind of like when Jesus said, you know what I want? I don't want the cross. I said, I know, you know what I want? I want to marry Kathy. But nevertheless, I want what you want more than what I want. That's the hardest part to add to any prayer. Because really, I just, God, I just want what I want. But then if you say to God, no, but I want what you want more than what I want. And so that prayer of Jesus, again, it shows his, it shows the passion of Jesus. He's passionate about his own desires. I don't want this. But he's more passionate about, I will do whatever the Father tells me to do. Because this is the plan to make men and women and boys and girls full of the life of God. So if this is what I have to do, I'll do it. And he didn't do it with any kind of regret or reservation or hesitation. But he was honest about his prayer. So that was Thursday night. And then, of course, Friday, that, that night, arrested, tortured, brutalized, everywhere else. And then Friday is on the cross. And I'm just going to share one part of the cross. Go to the next slide. So... Um, There's different words of the cross. He has said things. But the, the one thing he said that I think shows a passion about Jesus that I think is incomparable to any other world religious leader ever. When he says, in the midst of this happening, he's been beaten, he's been bloodied, he's been mocked, he's been tortured. And it's still going on. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I might be able to say that about somebody who's hurt me months after the fact. He's saying it in the midst of them torturing him. He forgave them in the midst of what was going on. And I know I've shared this again before, but I'm going to share it again. When I first saw The Passion of the Christ, which was the movie with Mel Gibson, not Mel Gibson, but he was... He did the movie, and they, when, when they showed this part of the movie where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, I, I remember whispering out loud to myself in the movie theater, and I don't normally speak this way, but when Jesus said that, after all this brutality, I actually whispered to myself, how in the hell can he say that? And I, I you know, Give me a little bit of grace on using that. Why the torture was still going on. Again, I can forgive somebody maybe weeks or months after they've heard me. Don't ask me to forgive them the next day. Don't ask me to forgive them that same day. Don't ask me to forgive them why they're hurting me. But Jesus does that. There's no other world religion that talks about forgiveness in that radical of a way. That's the one thing. Uh, uh, that's the one thing that I think separates Jesus from every other, whether it's Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, any other world religion. And by the way, this year I think it doesn't happen too often. This year, Easter. Passover season for the Jews and Ramadan for the Muslims is all happening around this same time. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to say, well, Christianity is better. I'm not saying Christianity is better. I'm saying Jesus is supreme. And if that makes Christianity better, it's only because Jesus is supreme. Because no one said the way to change the world is through forgiveness 
from God to people, therefore then becomes people to people. No one's ever said that in that kind of way. So if there's nothing else that makes Jesus, I think Jesus is separate from the rest of world religions or other great leaders or philosophers or even social activists, but there's nothing that sets him apart more than his willingness to forgive. Uh, nothing. There's nobody like that. So, so then there's this passion that Jesus has that he shows throughout the week. Passion to endure suffering for the sake of us. He endured challenging the... He had, he had to do the hard thing of clearing the temple. He had to challenge the Pharisees. He had all this stuff going on. He took himself like a servant and washed feet. So he felt deeply about those things, suffering in that sense, because he knew the greater good was you and I being made fully alive. That's why he did it. So I always think it's good. I mean, it's, it's easy to make Passion Week or Holy Week into this kind of religious observance where you do this on this day and that on this day. But I want to challenge you to think about this. This is the week that Jesus showed his passion to the fullest because he experienced suffering to the fullest. Because, again, passion, the only thing that would make Jesus endure that kind of passion, that kind of suffering, is because he had passion. Which, again, those two words are almost synonymous in the Bible. His suffering and his passion, his willingness to endure. So, go to the screen up here. Uh, Philippians 3. This is the verse that I've used a lot during this series. But this is what Paul says, and this, uh, I'll explain a couple of things. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That's the great Easter story, right? But then he goes on, I want to suffer with him. That word suffer is the same word where the Greek word comes, passion. I want to be passionate with him. I want to suffer with him. I want to be so deeply passionate about what God knows I can be that nothing will stop me, including suffering. So... If you're like me, I wish this verse stopped after the word dead. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. But then to add, I want to suffer with him. I want to have the same passion Jesus had that I will do whatever it takes to accomplish what God wants me to accomplish in my life. And then the last verse I'll share up here and then we'll lead into communion. This is in Hebrews chapter 2 or chapter 12. Um, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Actually, read this out loud with me. All right, here we go. Out loud and loudly. Here we go. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, that phrase again, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him? I mean, I don't think Passion Week was that joyful for him, right? The joy set before him, he endured the cross. But he, again, he was passionate about the joy set before him was what was going to be accomplished for me and for you. So his passion was about that joy that meant anything to get him to that place. Nothing was going to stop him, including suffering, confrontation, all kinds of, all kinds of issues. Nothing was going to stop him because he was all about our joy. So let me pray, and then we're going to take communion. So Jesus... Um, your word says that we can be say the same thing that Paul said we want to know you and we want to suffer with you 
But if most of us are honest, we kind of buckle at that second part. But we know, we, we want to know you more. And we want to be able to say we want that unconditionally. But I, if we're honest, many of us aren't quite there yet, but we want to be there. We want to be the kind of people who will do whatever you want us to do to accomplish what you want to accomplish in us and through us. So we want to have that deep, intense emotion, passion that Jesus had. Because that's where our life is, in the deep part of our heart there. So God, we, uh, we're grateful, Jesus, that you did give yourself to death. God rose you from the dead. grateful that Scripture tells us that there's, uh, you opened up this new effort for us, for us to relate to God because you were passionate about us. You suffered for us. So, God, we're grateful. Um, we're grateful for this, uh, this bread and this cup that show us how much you love us and how much your heart for us has always forgiven us. Let me ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.